this is, by the way, this is what missions is about. And our young people are going to experience what it is to love and serve other people without expecting anything in return. So it's going to be a good experience for them. They'll be with about 500 other uh, young people their age. They'll go and work on some houses for underprivileged families. They'll come in and work on those houses and paint and repair. And uh, all of it done to express God's love. And so they've already done this by cleaning up the yard for this lady that's a widow. Her name is Lois Furry, and she's been to church here. It couldn't be Christmas, not if temperatures matter, but I heard on my front lawn some clatter and chatter. So I crept to my window, I can't fly anymore, and saw a dozen young people, or perhaps a few more. With rakes, bags, and mussels, they gathered up my leaves. They mulched and they snipped. Their aim was to please. Their church taught them well to treat others with care. And their help here on Saturday was an answer to prayer. None of them knew, sorry, none of them knew me, but they still did their best. Thank you, each one of you. I feel truly blessed. Pretty cool, huh? So I'm really proud of our young people, and uh, I'm excited for them to be on this mission trip. On this particular day, uh, they raised from donations $550, and we are challenging our church to match that. That is any gift. If you can give $5, then that'll help match that gift. If you can give $10, it'll help match that gift. If you can give $500, that'll help match that gift. And we would love to match that gift so that all of our young people can go on this missions trip. And uh, they're going to Savannah, Georgia in June. And we'll have other opportunities, of course. But you pray about if God would help have you to help out in that way. And if you want to help in that way, you want to just make your check out to Eastside Baptist, but put youth on the bottom of it. You know, there in the memo section, just write youth. Make the check out to Eastside Baptist and just put youth on it. That way, our young people will be able to go and uh, share God's love and make an impact in people's lives. Now, we are studying in the book of Ruth. Ruth is a book of redemption. The Christmas, sorry, the Easter story is all the way through it. And we're going to continue this series today. We'll continue it right up till Easter Sunday, next Sunday. We find all kinds of great truth in this little book that only has four chapters. I do want to welcome the people who have joined us by way of the internet and thank you for being part of this sermon series. You should be able to download that same listening guide that we're using right here in the worship center at Eastside Baptist in Auburndale, Florida. 
I'm reading from the third chapter of Ruth, if you want to follow along with me. Now, people sometimes ask me about uh, preaching from a book like the book of Ruth. And uh, I want to take just a moment and explain the method that I use in preaching through a book. Like, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture, but as we go through the passage of Scripture, I'm going to explain to you what it means. This is called expository preaching. It means that you are preaching the Word of God. There is a difference between preaching the Word of God and preaching about the Word of God. And here at Eastside Baptist, we believe that preaching the Word of God is vital to the life and health of this church. So my method is called expository preaching. I will read and interpret the text and then at the end of the message, you have the listening guide, we will seek to apply the text to our lives. The application process can only be really fulfilled if you have a correct interpretation. How can you apply God's Word if you haven't heard God's Word? You can't do it. So the application is when we take God's Word and we say, Here's how I'm going to plug that into my life. If you just hear God's word, I have important information for you. It won't do you any good. You might as well stay home and watch Jeopardy. I'm just, I'm just being serious. It is not the hearing of the word of God that helps you. It is the application of the Word of God to your own life. James said, let's not just be hearers of the Word, let's be doers, right? So we want to plug God's Word into our lives. We want to hear it, we want to understand it, and then we want to apply it. And that's called expository preaching. All right, so Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, this is to Ruth, the book is named after Ruth. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? So Naomi is concerned about the well-being of Ruth. Now you have to realize that Ruth and Naomi are both widows. Both of them lost their husbands while they were in Moab. Naomi lost her husband and both of her sons. So Ruth and Naomi are both widows, and they have no practical means of support. They've come back to the land of Judah because the famine is over. But they don't have any support from immediate family. There's no sons to help protect and provide, to work, to bring funds into the house. They don't have any means of supporting themselves. There was no welfare system. 
So they are destitute. In fact, Naomi said when she got back to the land of Judah, she said, I went out full, but I have come back empty. And she was quite bitter about it. She said, I went out with a husband and two sons, and I'm coming back with nothing. I don't have any means of support. They're destitute. And to illustrate the predicament that they're in, the Bible tells us that Naomi allowed Ruth to go out and glean from the fields. The only people who gleaned from the fields were the poor people. Can I just give you a modern-day illustration? Food bank. Food bank. It's the poor who come to the food bank. What they're doing is gleaning. They're getting everybody else's leftovers. They're getting free food handed out to them. And that's essentially what's going on in the book of Ruth. They're getting some groceries from the left behind of the harvest. Barley harvest went from April to June, barley and wheat harvest. And you know that the scripture teaches those who harvested the fields were specifically told, don't go all the way to the corners and catch every little piece of grain. You let some of that fall. You don't go all the way to the corners of that field. You let some of it stay there so that the poor can come behind and gather enough to feed themselves. It was part of the law. There's the welfare system. But it just shows how poor, how destitute Ruth and Naomi really are. So we know from last week, that Ruth went out to gather up as much grain as she could, and God providentially guided her to the very field that he wanted her in. Happened to be the field of Boaz. She shows up in his field and starts gleaning the field, gathering up some grain, and all of a sudden he shows up at the very part of the field, at the very time that Ruth was there. And all of us know that this is the hand of God. The, the hand of God guiding Ruth and Boaz together. You see, God had picked Boaz to be Ruth's husband. And God will do the same thing in your life. He will guide you. If you seek him, he will guide you. He will guide your thoughts and steps. He'll bring you right into the path of the very person that he wants you to be. And I just say to you, I'm convinced that God's hand was in guiding me to meet Millard Moorhead. He called me on the phone one day. Now, I was not supposed to come to Eastside Baptist Church. I was not supposed to come here, was I? You know where I was going? Lake Hamilton. That's where I was headed. That's where I thought God wanted me. And then this bald-headed rascal calls me, and he says, would you come over to Eastside? I said, yeah, I'll come over to Eastside. 
and 16 people showed up on Sunday morning and we started having church. And it was great. I mean, that's the hand of God guiding us. If you seek him, just like Ruth, he will guide you. All right. So Ruth went. Boaz shows up just the right time. Ruth catches Boaz's attention. I wonder who caused that same one, right, who's in control of everything. God will bring to your attention the people he wants you to meet. And I especially want to say this to our young people. You don't have to seek after a boyfriend. God knows what you need. I, and I'm, I'm being very serious. If you'll seek the Lord, he'll bring you the perfect boyfriend. He will. And if you're seeking a mate, I just advise you. Put that to the side and seek the Lord because he knows better than you do what you really need. And he'll bring the right person across your path. He did that with Ruth and Boaz. So Boaz pays attention to her. He shows her extraordinary kindness. He says to his workers, she is off limits. Don't touch her. In fact, I want you to let some of the extra grain fall so she gets plenty to take home. All of that takes place. Ruth goes back home. Naomi says, where have you been gleaning? She tells Naomi, I was in the field of Boaz. Naomi says, hmm, God has been good. Boaz paid attention to you, did he? Uh-huh. Well, guess what? Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. This is the provision of God. God turned the heart of bitter Naomi into blessed Naomi. And now she's seeing his hand at work in their lives. That's where we pick up this story. Verse 2, Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? Of course he is. In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now let me show you winnowing. You'll bring up the uh, this is a threshing floor. This is a modern uh, picture of a threshing floor, an actual threshing floor. It's a flat surface where they would bring the grain, and they would actually beat the grain uh, so that it loosened the actual grain from the husk. They would beat it there on the threshing floor. And then show this next picture. Then they take these big forks. They're actually made out of wood, but they throw the grain up in the air, and the wind blows the chaff away, and the grain falls to the ground. And so that's what's going on in this chapter. Uh, here, here's another picture for you. And this is actually the reenactment of this chapter that we're talking about. Here is Boaz, and he is pouring grain into the skirt of her garment. And she's going to take it home. Now just hold that picture there while we continue reading. So he's at the threshing floor, Naomi says. Verse 3. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. 
but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Then he, then it shall be when he lies down that you will notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. He'll tell you what you should do. This is a marriage proposal. Now, you have to realize, Ruth is a Moabite. She is not a part of the culture of Israel. She has had a change of heart in that she is a saved person. She is worshiping the God of Israel, but she's still an outsider, right? Everybody follows that? She's an outsider, strike one. She's a widow, strike two. And she's extremely poor. Strike three. Except for one thing. God's favor is upon her. The world may throw you three strikes and you're out, but if God's hand is on you, you are in good place. Okay, so here's what's going on. This is a, this is a marriage proposal. Imagine the faith that Ruth had to exhibit to take this huge step and propose marriage to a rich Jew. It was a huge step of faith. She was putting her faith in the Lord God that she worshipped and served. She said, God, you're going to have to do this because I sure am not worthy. Huge step of faith. And I say this to you. Every one of us is going to have to take a huge step of faith one day. You're going to have to realize that you are not worthy, but that God is a God of grace and favor. And that huge step of faith is going to be the day when you step into his blessing. What if Ruth had said, I just can't do this, I'm too afraid. I can't, I'm scared. What if he rejects me? I'm poor, I'm an outsider, I'm a widow. What if he rejects me? She had three strikes against her. She really should just kind of cover up and go home. Friends, listen. Don't believe the lie of the devil. He created you in his image. He loves you and you have great value to him. So don't believe the lie of the devil. Step forward in faith. Step into God's blessing expecting him to bless you. That's exactly what Ruth did. She said to Naomi, everything you've told me, I'm going to do. Great step of faith for Ruth. All right, verse 5. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all her mother-in-law instructed her. After Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful. The heart being cheerful is not talking about him being intoxicated. There's no indication of that in the text. The heart being cheerful is this. It's when a man realizes God's blessing is upon his life. He's deeply satisfied. Can I just share this with you? If you don't have God's blessing on your life, nothing will satisfy you. Absolutely nothing. Money won't satisfy you. Fame won't satisfy you. Power won't satisfy you. Success won't satisfy you. Possessions won't satisfy you. 
Only when the blessing of God is on your life will you truly be satisfied. When you lay down at night, you'll say, Oh my goodness, what a good, good father I have. You can rest in the truth of his blessing and favor upon your life. Let me just ask this question. How many of you want God's favor on your life today? All right. Everybody does. We all do. We just don't want to take that step of faith because we're afraid. So after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. He probably was doing this as a security measure so people wouldn't come in and steal his grain at night. They didn't have street lights. It was dark out there. She came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. This is a marriage proposal. It's a Near Eastern custom. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. It's dark. He doesn't know who it is. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. She was using the same language that was used in the previous chapter. Under whose wings you have sought refuge, remember? She's saying, I want to be under your wing. I want to be under your wings. I want you to spread your covering over me. Friends, oh, listen. When God spreads his covering over you, you are secure. There's nothing that can replace that. To find refuge under his wings. And this is what Ruth is saying. I want you to be my husband, to be my protector, to be my provider. I want your covering over me. May I say something to the men who are here this morning? Every woman has been created by God with an understanding of her need to be covered. Deep inside she knows, I need a covering from God's man. And so sadly, we men have failed in our spiritual leadership. We failed to set the standard. We failed to lead out and say to our families, hey, we're going to seek the Lord. We're going to be in church. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray together. We're going to give generously. We're going to serve with a full heart. We failed in that area. And so our wives are left without a covering. We've not spread our wings to cover our family spiritually. We have not sought the Lord, therefore we cannot give to our families the spiritual leadership they so desperately want. Spread your wings over me, is what she says. Now, 
This is an interesting concept because the wings of a garment were often referred to as the edge of a garment. So wings like the wings of a bird we understand, but we don't understand that phrase that comes out of the Bible, the wings of a garment. It referred to the edge of a garment. There's an interesting passage. It's in the book of Luke. And I'd ask you to turn there with me. Luke chapter 8. Keep your finger in Ruth chapter 3. But look at Luke chapter 8 with me. And this is an interesting passage where Jesus is in a healing ministry. Luke chapter 8. And I want to begin reading in, uh, let's see, verse 43. Ah, here we go. Luke 8, verse 43. The scripture says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians, could not be healed by any. Here is a woman who is bleeding, and she continues to bleed, and for twelve years she's gone from physician to physician to physician, and she spent all of her money trying to find somebody who can give her healing that she needs. Does anybody here know a healer? Do you know a healer? What is his name? Jesus. All right. Well, she just happens upon Jesus. Here we go. This woman having an issue of blood, a flow of blood for 12 years, she spent all of her money on these positions. Verse 44 says, uh, she came from behind and touched the border of his garment. The border of whose garment? And the border of his garment was called his wings. What an interesting concept. And immediately her flow of blood stopped, and Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied her, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude strong and press you, and you said, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and fought. Falling down before him, she declared to him, in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now let me tell you what this woman with the issue of blood was thinking about. She was thinking about the prophecy in Malachi. Listen to chapter 4 of Malachi. Listen to this, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. 
But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Hold up. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. The wings were the edges of Jesus' garment. And what this lady knew is if I can just get close enough to touch the edge of his garment, I'll be healed. And Ruth says, spread your wing over me. You see how the scripture all goes together. Not a word there should be overlooked. All of it goes together. It's woven together by the Holy Spirit. It speaks to our spiritual needs. It speaks to our relationship with Him. It is all there for us if we will but dig into the Scriptures. Let the nourishment that feeds our spirit keep us faithful to the Lord. All right, back to Ruth, chapter 3. Verse 9, she says, he says, who are you? She answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing. Now we have a better understanding of that phrase. For you are a close relative. You're the kinsman redeemer. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Ruth, I commend you for not being like every other young lady around and going after young men. This is such a great example. You really want to be a woman of God? You really want to be somebody that God can lay his hand a blessing on? Don't seek after men. Seek after the Lord. What a great example she gives. Verse 11 says, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you're a virtuous woman. Ruth, an outsider, poor, a widow, had a reputation for seeking after the Lord. Listen, character means more than anything. She had godly character, regardless of her race. She had godly character, and she was known for her godly character. How will people know you? Will they know you as a woman of God, a woman who sought the Lord, a woman who could be counted on to be faithful? Will they know you by your fruit? That's the kind of woman Ruth was. Now it's true that I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, then let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning. She arose before anyone could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. You see, Boaz was concerned 
even about the appearance of evil. When you have a heart for God, you're not trying to see what evil you can get away with. You're seeing how you can avoid it at all costs. When you have a heart for God. He said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, she measured six ephahs of barley, or six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. He's saying, I don't want you going home without some provisions. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, and she said, these six measures of barley, these six ephah of barley he gave me, where he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So now we have the interpretation of the passage. Let's see if we can make application. This is the listening guide you'll want to just follow right along. Number one, we see in Ruth a beautiful illustration of the believer's relationship to Christ. Yes, it's the believer and Christ. If you want to extend this a little further, it's like the body of Christ and Christ. Christ and his church. Christ and the believer. It's the relationship that's being pictured for us. And please understand, there is going to be a step of faith required by every one of us. One day, we will have to get past our fears and take a step of faith in order to enjoy the blessing of the Lord. Second, practical application from God's Word. Second, if we want fellowship with Christ, then just as Ruth was washed and anointed, we must also be washed and anointed. Washed in the blood of Christ and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Washed by the blood of Christ and anointed by the Holy Spirit. I ask you this morning, did you spend time getting washed and anointed before you came to worship? You know, so many of us spend more time in front of the mirror making sure our hair is right than in front of God's Word making sure our hearts are right. This is about our relationship with the Lord. Here is an intimate, personal view of Ruth and Boaz. It's meant to give us a picture of our relationship with Christ. You don't have a relationship with Christ that is meaningful and vibrant if you're not being anointed and cleansed. This means I have a relationship with Christ. I want to be led by the Spirit of God. I want to make sure my heart is right with Him, that my sins are cleansed, that I'm confessed up, and that I'm ready to worship Him and serve Him. That's what this picture's for us. So many of us are so comfortable in our lives that we've grown comfortable with Christ. We think our only responsibility in life is to show up at church. As long as I go to church, everything's good. But in terms of a vibrant, daily, intimate, personal relationship with Christ, it could not and does not describe our lives. 
because we've forgotten the anointing of the Holy Spirit and we've forgotten the cleansing of the blood of Christ. And we're coming up to Easter when we celebrate what? He died on the cross, shedding His blood so that you and I could be forgiven. We serve a risen Savior. Why would we neglect the anointing of the Spirit and the cleansing of the blood of Christ? It's only because our hearts have grown cold and indifferent to the things of God. We're managing life pretty well on our own. Ruth and Boaz, it's a picture of the relationship between Christ and the believer. Notice number three. If we really want fellowship with Christ, then just as Ruth was clothed, we must also be clothed. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus who knew no sin. He made Jesus to become sin so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I want to ask you a question. Did you put on your cloak of righteousness today? Did you, when you got up this morning, think, Oh God, I'm so glad that you've given me the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that today I can worship you, anointed by the Spirit, cleansed by the blood, clothed in your righteousness. Did you really get ready for worship today? Or was it just another, oh, I'm Sunday. Sure hope it doesn't rain on me when I'm on the way to church. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God is impressed with your preparation for worship? Do we not spend more time picking out furniture than we do picking out God's blessings? Do we not spend more time watching our brackets in March Madness than we do watching what God wants for our lives? Is it any wonder that the church of Jesus Christ is lacking in intimate fellowship with the risen Savior, that we do not experience the power of the resurrection among us, that lives are not being transformed, they're being sucked down to the pit because the church has lost its power. Why do we have no power? Because we treat God as a casual acquaintance, not as the very life breath of who we are. Practical application. Are you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And if you are, are you acting like it? Number four, if we want fellowship with Christ, then just as Ruth, we must be at the feet of Jesus. I ask you a question. You spend any time at the feet of Jesus this week? Talking with Him? Pouring out your heart to Him? Letting Him know what you're concerned about? Sharing your love with Him? Seeking His guidance? 
asking for His protection, thanking Him for His provisions? Have you been spending any time at the feet of Jesus? Or has it just been one of those weeks that kind of just sped by without you ever thinking about Jesus? I ask you about your relationship to Christ because if you want fellowship with Him, you must spend time with Him. Like any relationship, it requires time and investment. And if you're too busy to spend time with Christ, you're too busy. Perhaps we should ask God to remove from our lives everything that keeps us from Him. Maybe we should. Maybe we should pray and say, God, I'm obviously too busy. Would you just clear my schedule so I'll have time for you? And God, since I'm not honoring you with my life, would you just take everything out of my life that keeps me from honoring you? And God, obviously, since I'm not experiencing your favor and your power, would you just take everything out of my life that keeps me from knowing what it means to walk with you? Yes, it takes faith. Yes, it takes a step of obedience. Just like Ruth, she went to be at the feet of Boaz. What an intimate view we have. And imagine what it's like. She, an outcast. She, a widow. She, a poor person with nothing to bring. She uncovers his feet. Why, the gall of that poor widow outsider. I want to remind you, every one of us is an outsider. Every one of us is bankrupt. We have nothing to bring. All we do is come to the feet of Jesus and ask Him to have mercy upon us. And He's so gracious and kind that He says, Everything you ask, I will do. Have you spent any time at the feet of Jesus this week? Have you spent any time with Him, alone, speaking to Him? about what's on your heart. Number five, the result of our fellowship with Jesus, just like Ruth, is that we have food to share with others. You know, one of the reasons that so many people don't share their faith is because there's nothing going on in their lives. When was the last time you got so excited because of an answer to prayer? because of a provision from God, because of a thing that He was doing in your life, and you just couldn't hold it in, you had to share it. When was the last time you so experienced the presence and power of God and His working in your life that you just couldn't keep from sharing it with somebody? The problem is, God's not active in our lives. So we don't have anything to share. We've got no food to give the starving masses. I want more. I want to have food to give. And it's not more programs. It's not more ingenuity. 
It's not more planning. It's not more strategies. Friend, it's more time with Jesus that we need. The absence of power and ministry in the church, if we want spirit-energized worship and spirit-energized preaching and spirit-energized ministry, it won't come through all of our work. It will come through our prayers, our time with the Lord Jesus, allowing Him to work in our lives, bringing glory to His name. He's a great God and a great Savior, and He loves you and me with an unfailing love. I want to have food to share with others. The only way that happens is if I've been with Jesus. How about you? Would you pray with me?